This is the John Oakley Show podcast. All right, let's get started. Topics worthy of discussion. For Pizzaville, dial pound 3636. The Tuesday edition sees familiar names and faces. Rocco Rossi, the CEO of the Ontario Chamber of Commerce. How's Rocco? Just absolutely delighted to be in such a gust company. Okay. Uh, I know you're making that part up. Uh, here we go. Kevin Cadet, uh, president of Breakpoint Strategy, formerly head of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. How's Kevin? That was fine until you offended us, but uh, <laughs> thank you, Johnny. <laughs> All right. I'll take Rocco's compliment. Okay. Yeah. Well, there you are. Uh, you didn't see through it then. Uh, <laughs> Alyssa Freeman, PR and pop Bias culture media expert. How's Alyssa? Well, I'll take it then today. It's a great day for talk radio. There you are. It's the second week in a row I've got yeah, the bell. Well, yep. I saw through that, but nonetheless, okay, I bit well. on it. Hey, you know, we just finished talking to uh, Stephen Lecce, the education minister in the province, and uh, because the teachers have now secondary and uh, elementary uh, gone into work-to-rule mode, maybe a precursor to a strike, I don't know, but uh, he seems exasperated that this is going around all too frequently. And I'm just wondering about these... Uh, information pickets that the union set up outside of schools before and after school and uh how do you see it Alyssa? i'll start with you are they uh is this a brilliant strategy to propagandize the parents going to pick up and drop off their kids maybe even give them leaflets to the kids and send them on their way here tell your parents about this and get the union message out how do you see it well, absolutely, it's brilliant. I mean, clearly, they're very well organized if this is happening uh, at schools across the province. And I think that it's brilliant, but at the same time, it's sort of insidious. You know, here you are picking up your kid or your kids waiting for mommy or daddy to pick them up, and they're being handed either leaflets or they're being given messaging to take home. However, you know, they who win the information wars can almost win the day. So, you know, it's very, very hard to keep up with messaging that is going directly to your audience audience if you are not there beside them. So obviously the Ontario government is not going to set up a table beside, you know, the teachers or the union stewards and say, okay, well now come over here and listen to us. But it's almost as if they do need to. I mean, Stephen Lecce has been uh, spread pretty thin these days, um, you know, over the media trying to get across the government's message. And here you have teachers everywhere who are not just utilizing mainstream media, utilizing social media, but also have a very, very comprehensive and successful grassroots strategy. Kevin, how about it? Is it just uh, another tool for propagandizing? Well, it's an effective but repugnant repugnant technique. Um, These union thugs have demonstrated that child abuse is not uh, too far below them. Um, They'll do anything. There was a time in our lives where the ends didn't justify the means, um, but we're now at a point where these thugs will do whatever the hell they can to get whatever the hell they want, and they just don't care. Well, all right, give me more specifics. I mean, what is your sense that they're doing exploiting the kids? Well, they're exploiting the kids. They're, they're, they're brainwashing the kids. We have young, impressionable children who only get one source of information, and it's, it's factually inaccurate information. It's literally rammed into their hands, both by the union thugs picketing and the teacher, too often teachers in classes as well, uh, and... and they're cute and they're they're malleable and they're impressionable and of course they all love their teachers, which is a good thing. Um, therefore, they become voices at home and 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 it's also a long term strategy because they also then become voters. Mm. Wow, uh, sounds rather insidious, doesn't it, Rocco? Well, look at um, all sides understand that um, parents are really getting tired of these strikes happening on a regular basis, regardless of political stripe. 
And so no one wants to seem to be the bad guy. And so they're looking for ways to get their message across without uh, shutting down the classroom, making it difficult for the kids or um, or suddenly creating a problem for parents. So this is, you know, it's kind of like the old Seinfeld joke. Uh, what does extra strength mean? Well, you take the thing uh, at the strength that'll kill you and just bring it back a touch. Uh, and that's what we'll call extra strength. So this is taking the tactic as far as you can without shutting down the um, the classroom and earning the ire of parents. You know, uh, just because I want to move through a lot of these topics quickly, uh, and I did ask the minister, you know, if uh, all these rotating strikes and so on and so forth all too frequently lend credence to the call for more choice and competition in Ontario's school system. He dismissed that. He said he just wants to perfect the public system or make it as good as possible. So, uh, you know, I won't belabor the point unless you think that this does actually take us to a tipping point where a lot of people would consider uh, school choice, vouchers, that kind of stuff, funding for charter schools. Do you think we're near or at that point, Kevin? Well, I, I think it's needed. Your question is, are we nearer to it? I think we're getting closer and closer to it. Um, as the quality of our education system continues to decline, the cost continues to rise, and these teachers' unions threaten strikes and, uh, and you know negatively impact our children every two or three years, I think there's more need. And to be candid, the only way to break these crappy unions is to have choice in education. So I think there's greater room for it, but I don't think this government has the courage to do it. That's what it would take, political courage, Rocco? Well, and I, I don't really hear the groundswell. I mean, notwithstanding, look, um, you, you can make the case, and lots of policy wonks do, but in talking to parents, there's no moneyed interest. To push yeah, I don't. I don't see. I don't see a groundswell for it. Alyssa? Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I mean, if parents are disillusioned with the public system, the first thing they do is either try to go through the Catholic system or they go and pay for private school. So you know, there are enough parents that can be disillusioned that say, "Okay, I'm going to put the money down and pay for university before I pay for university." But no, albeit I don't I don't see any call for charter schools yet. All right. When you both, uh, or at least uh, I guess Kevin primarily made the case that the kids were being exploited insofar as these uh, information pickets were concerned. Earlier this afternoon, talking to the lawyer and program director with Echo Justice, uh, Alan Andrews, who was alerting me to the fact that uh, seven young Ontarians, ranging in age from 12 to 24, are suing the Ford government for inaction on climate change, saying it's a charter or uh, a rights violation. And uh, they're hoping to take this to court sooner rather than later. And some of the kids, you know, suggesting that uh, they're afraid so many species they love will go extinct and that children in the future won't be able to enjoy nature the same way that they do. And kind of channeling Greta Thunberg, uh, Kevin Gadet. Do you think these kids are being used or are they precocious enough to really have a sense for the complexities of climate change and the Ford government's inaction on such? Look, I, I think 12, 13, 14-year-old children are, are cute and capable of some interesting things, but they don't have the intellectual, historical, uh, uh, emotional abilities to properly assess complicated policy issues and deal with them fully and appropriately. So I think we should take... Uh, 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 a grain of salt when they say things, and, and I recognize they're cute, but I don't take it very seriously when, when Leonardo DiCaprio says anything about it, and equally I don't take it very seriously when a 12-year-old does either. Uh, I think it's unfortunate that they're increasingly being used as pawns in, in, in such a manner. All right, but uh, some people say, you know, it's the very nature of the, the futuristic element that they're concerned about, and so or are they just figureheads in this complaint by 
uh, environmental activists, Alyssa? You know, this is very much a copycat communication strategy. They saw how well, and she continues to do Greta Thunberg in, in her message around climate change. So if you are a group or a smaller group trying to gain traction around your message and you've been wallowing in, uh, you know, not in despair, but you've been wallowing in the shadows, you think, gee, you know, this whole kid point of view might work for us. So I'm not saying that these kids don't have a point of view, but certainly when you start feeding them key messages, which certainly sound to me like very rehearsed key messages, you know that they are being used as a front in order to attract media attention. And so, Rocco, uh, do you think the public can possibly see through this or will they find them endearing and uh, believe? I think I think the public uh, can finally sort out between authentic and inauthentic. That said, um, you know, I, I think back to when um, recycling bins first came out and, and basically kids were the uh, were the stormtroopers of making sure that uh, their parents would. Uh, you know, I, I remember my son making sure that, no, 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 Dad, you can't throw that into the garbage. It's got to go into the recycling bin. So it, it, it's ever been uh, it's ever been thus, and uh, I think you're going to see kids develop all kinds of uh, passions. But to, uh, uh, to Kevin's point, I mean, we don't give them the right to vote. We don't let them drive a car. Uh, so before a certain age, society has already judged that uh, there's only so far that we can take the passion of children. Well, part of my concern about this is is the hyperbole that gets involved. So there's this, look, e- even if one believes all the arguments proposed by, by the proponents, none of the serious scientists actually say that the world is going to end. And that's the language what we're hearing from some of these youth who are overwrought because they're emotional and they don't have the capabilities to deal with these complex issues fully. So they, they end up spitting out language and are increasingly believing from an anxiety perspective that global warming or climate change, whatever the hell they call it now, is... The climate crisis. It, it, yeah, it is the end of the world. It implies the end of the world. And, and, and it doesn't. Um, you know, even the worst case scenarios don't don't go that far, and that's part of the problem. Where they they're now creating this 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 crisis mentality amongst a generation, and it, it becomes increasingly impossible to satisfy whatever it is they're seeking emotionally. And it, like, what's an appropriate response to the end of the world is nigh? Well, it's also amplifying angst among a very, very vulnerable population. So you've gone from, as Rocco says, separating garbage to uh, the world is going to blow up. And, uh, and they believe it. And, and they do believe it. And I may not have children because I'm really worried about the type of world that we that you've already left for me. So why would I even want to continue having children in order to have to suffer through this? And, and these kids are getting very angst. And I think that that is really the big crime of this all is by using kids as a conduit to even, you know, perpetuate uh, you know, key messages that are full of despair and angst. You know, it just does not sit well with me. Well, that's socially irresponsible. <clears throat> let me let me just move on because I mean, uh, when it comes to taking cues from, uh, say, an adult, in this matter, it was a parent, uh, Brian Mulroney, uh, at the Brian Mulroney Institute of Government uh, out in Nova Scotia. I guess there was a plaque. Uh, that was put there because, and it uh, reflected wisdom that his father had given given him back in 1955. It says, quote, the only way out of a paper mill town is through a university door. And uh, so he went to St. F. of X in Nova Scotia, and uh, we know the rest of the story. 
Made his way along the food chain, became the prime minister, and hence he's got the Brian Mulroney Institute of Government. Well, don't you know uh, there was a complaint from a young woman out there who said this is outrageous. I mean, uh, what's wrong with being in a milled town? Uh, it's gainful employment. Uh, there are skilled tradespeople there and so on and so forth. So somewhat this is reflective of a certain chauvinism that the only way you can get ahead is uh, through a university education. And uh, the president of St. F of X apologized to those who were offended by the inscription on the plaque. Rocco, you're shaking your head. Do you think this was uh, a little uh, perhaps overreactive to things? Look, this is totally over the, the top. I mean, I, I, I do regular speeches across the province right now on the importance of skilled trades and making sure that we're not classist uh, on on that on that basis. That said, there's a historical context to that quote from his dad who wanted his child to aspire to more than he had. Uh, and that became a motivator for him and worked and worked for him. And there's, there's a history and a context that needs to be understood and honored. And that doesn't then equate to, and therefore anyone in a mill town, everybody else is an idiot. Well, it's such such a great example of snowflake culture. I mean, part of the irony of this complaint is the individual who filed the complaint is a St. of X graduate herself. Right. Who doesn't have skilled trades, didn't come through the skilled trades. So on behalf of those other people, she is taking umbrage on behalf of those people who may like, for God's sakes, get over yourself, you bimbo. But she came from a mill okay. town. Well, okay, let's, let's, let's not call not her use a bimbo, but, yeah. but, but, Okay, but, idiot, yeah. is that better? Okay. Yeah. All right. Sorry, some non-gender specific attack <laughs> well, on her snowflake is specific. But, you know, here's the thing. To actually call out somebody else's lived experience is beyond the pale. And to equate it to something where we should start feeling sorry for or we feel that we're denigrating people who do work in mill towns, that is such a stretch. And then here we go right straight into this apology culture where St. F of X is already like, let's get out that apology. Maybe we're going to take that plaque down. And I'm thinking, no, no, cooler heads need to prevail. I'm sorry that you're offended. This was somebody else's lived experience, and I think that you could understand the the gist of this quote that is meaningful to him. And that's where it should have ended. And and where does it stop? Do and we where now does it go stop? after William Blake, who who wrote of the dark satanic mills <laughs> and say this guy, one uh-huh. of the greatest lights in English literature, mm. is He's the next. devil himself? He's next. Well, what's interesting is if Brian Mulroney had not heeded his father's uh, advice and had stayed in the mill town, uh, he might never have become prime. Lucien Bouchard might have become prime minister, and the history of this country okay, would have well, been let's think about that for radically a different. <laughs> well, I'm just saying, or somebody, yeah. somebody else other than Brian Mulroney, and uh, who knows? And maybe what there would be no NAFTA, and maybe apartheid wouldn't be brought down because he played a huge role in that, and maybe the, and, the and fight against Carl Heinz Schreiber. We don't know what would happen. With, what could, would could, become of? Listen, let me ask you. Could because, people just stop being offended so much? Right. By so on much? behalf of other people. Too. Exactly. <laughs> That's the one step further. You know further. what? I think the whole the whole thing to to, you know, to cap this is that it wasn't her story to tell. It was his story, and she should have left it at that. That's what it is. It's history. Uh, and Uh-oh. so where we, where we find ourselves when it comes to leadership, I uh, wanted to ask you about this, because uh, social conservative groups like uh, Campaign Life Coalition and uh, right now an anti-abortion group, the Reverend Charles McVitie, uh, the evangelical Christian leader, they're all banging the war drum saying uh, that 
Andrew Shear is uh, damaged goods and he can't stay on. And uh, then Corey Tanike, one-time friend and confidant of Andrew Shear and uh, mucky muck with uh, Stephen Harper, has suggested that if he really wants to uh, be the leader, he ought to resign and then run again at their convention in April. Kevin, you're close to this. Uh, I mean, is there any chance now that Andrew Shear can actually calm these <coughs> waters? Does he have to? Does ten, what Tanike says, uh, step down and run again with a clean slate, hit the reset button? Is that because he just jettisoned his communications director and chief of staff? Where do we go from here? I don't believe any leader in the history of the country or any Western democracy has actually resigned and then run again in a leadership. I stand to be corrected. But but effectively, <laughs> Joe Clark said unless he hit the... Uh, right. Over one-third. Um, yeah, so over yeah. the two-thirds, yeah. and he didn't do it, yeah. and then he went into a leadership convention and got beat by Mulroney. Do I think that Andrew Scheer has a possibility of winning, surviving the leadership uh, retention vote in April, a confidence vote? Uh, I think it's a very narrow path for that poss- possibility, very narrow. And I, I give, he's actually accomplished a very rare thing in politics these days for any political party. Um, it's just like nobody seems to like him. Can you name two or three people? Can you name three? Can you name two people who've supported him? I, I don't know that I can. Andrew Scheer? So other, than, other than his wife, maybe. All right. So he's a dead man walking politically. He does have five kids. I think they all support well, him. They're not old enough to vote yet. Yeah, well, right. Although they can join the union. But, you know, can somebody's reputation be resurrected at this point? Right. I think it's that it is possible. Late. It is possible, but not for him. <laughs> it, it, it is possible that other people have, you know, risen from the ashes, uh, you know, in a Phoenix-like way. But I don't think that's possible for Andrew Scheer. Well, is it the conservatives are cannibalizing themselves again? Well, I mean, they're making sure, they're making darn sure that it doesn't happen. He's and done, they, he's done nothing since election night to demonstrate that he's learned or changed and that window is uh, is only open for a short period of time anyhow and that, and it's closing it, it may already be shut in fact because he's literally done nothing except double down on his earlier opinions well all right let, walk me through the scenario very quickly here uh let's say he's considered too damaged to continue so they got to go to the leadership convention why would a minority government not actually want to call a snap election Basically, because they're vulnerable, they don't have a leader or anybody who's gained any traction. Well, except that uh, you run the risk of enormous backlash on the part of the the public. Uh, No one wants to be seen to be the one to trigger it or to take advantage. Uh, It's happened. It's been attempted in the past, and it's not gone particularly well. I mean, I think part of it... To, Sorry, quickly, to, to play, 98 MPs are also two years away from their vested pensions. Right, and they're not, they're not going anywhere. There's the answer. Well, there, there, there you That's go. That's why. End of conversation. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Let's come back. Sorry, Rocco. Into the home stretch. Sort of, yeah, preempted everything you wanted to say, Rocco, because I think that was the pithy point behind it all. You know, I wanted to come back and talk about something that uh, is exposing itself now in a nice way. I mean, uh, in the NHL, I'm calling it something akin to a Me Too moment, because uh, we've heard reports of late when, you know, Babcock was fired by the Leafs. Suddenly, uh, people coming out of the woodwork saying, did you know that, uh, well, Mitch Marner was subjected to some kind of a massive head game here? He was running on him, uh, asking him, for example, uh, who he thought had the best and the worst work ethics on his team, his teammates. This is his rookie year. And so he cited a couple guys like Bozak and Kadri, and then... Babcock goes to Bozak and Kadri says, this is what Mitch Marner thinks of your work ethic. That surfaced now, just this week. And then we find out uh, another player with Chicago, Akima Lou, uh, he's of Nigerian origin. 
And the coach who's currently with Calgary, coaching him in the minors, had suggested that his music uh, was inappropriate in the dressing room and allegedly used the N-word. All of these things are surfacing sort of after the fact that these guys, you know, uh, have departed no longer in the league. I'm just wondering if uh, we would condemn, criticize, or congratulate the players who make accusations from years past, Rocco. Look, leadership through fear is just over. Uh you know, the days of Machiavelli writing in The Prince and saying, if the prince has to choose between being loved and being feared, it's better to be feared. Um, that just doesn't cut it anymore. And it certainly doesn't cut it when the people you're trying to make afraid make millions of dollars and are eventually going to have their own uh, platform to uh, to tell what what kind of leadership style you have. So it is an important moment and it is a wake up call Um uh, to leadership style, not just in hockey, but uh, but elsewhere in society. All right, so basically outing people for past indiscretions or, you know, uh, now that you're safely removed from them, you're taking your shots. Okay to do? Is that legitimate? Is it necessary, even a cathartic process, Alyssa? I think it's a bit of a cathartic process, and I think that the players of the NHL are having a bit of a woke moment. And I, I believe that the, this is a, a sport where you don't hear much from players, you know, other than it was a team effort and I'm glad we won, or it was a team effort and oh well, we lost. So here you have now, you know, sort of pulling pulling the covers over some dirty laundry that you may have suspected always existed, but never really knew. So I, I feel that pe- players. Players are feeling a little bit emboldened by uh, other athletes that they hear and uh, are starting to sort of, you know, uh, absorb that and not feeling so afraid to come out with um, their own, um, you know, things that have been bothering them over the years. All right. And so, uh, Kevin, because, I mean, Babcock is gone and he might be damaged goods now. Nobody wants to take him on because they see that in his past uh, he's done some things. He's a dick. Well, that's exactly what had been said by... The technical uh, term. Right. Uh, yeah. Is that is? I mean... He can, he, and, and he can... Look, at. I just think it's nice to see that, that the, there's some karma in this in the world where if people are going to act that way, that it does come back to haunt them in due course, although it's haunting him to the tune of $50 million in his contract. Maybe he doesn't care about his reputation. I think he probably does, actually. Um, there's a fine line between, as, as Rocco points out, between coaching for motivation and... and negatively being so negative towards people it's basically bullying it's that's the word i was about to use and then stopped well (laughs) and maybe this is a watershed moment certainly is for me because uh we're done for the day and my week i'm gone for a week and a half i appreciate Alyssa, kevin and rocco coming in thanks for listening to the john oakley show podcast be sure to rate review and subscribe for free at apple podcasts google podcasts and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio